Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Well, it's time for another Beeson Podcast. I'm so glad you've joined us today. And here in the studio with me is one of my good friends and colleagues at Beeson Divinity School, Dr. Mark Devine. Welcome, Mark, to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you, Dr. George. I'm happy to be here. Now, uh, Mark, you're a theologian. Uh, You teach in the area of Christian theology and what we call history and doctrine here at Beeson. But you've only been at Beeson for how long? Five years. Five years. And tell us a little bit about your life and ministry and career before that. Well, I grew up in a a blue-collar family in Spartanburg, South Carolina, Southern Baptist, long before I became a Christian, uh, deep Southern Baptist culture. Father who worked for the railroad, his father worked for the railroad. My father also coached in sports, became one of the the first in my uh, generation and in my family to go to college. Uh, I and some of my cousins were the first. I ended up having a, a stint of drug use that was that was very serious. Coincided also with my mother's serious illness. She suffered from postpartum depression twice and schizophrenia, culminating in in a Damascus Road type conversion experience when I was sixteen. And in the wake of that, I ended up uh, heading for college and uh, earned a degree in electrical engineering at Clemson University as an attempt not to go into the ministry that failed. While I was there, uh, surrendered to the ministry sort of in classic fashion, at least in my culture. <laughs> they they like that language, and that's what happened to me, and I made my way to, to Southern Seminary where I ended up earning two degrees. Met uh, my future wife, Jackie Moore, who's now Jackie Moore Divine, who is an MDF student uh, there at Southern. Along the way, I, I served churches. I started serving churches on staff from the time I was 17, minister of youth and then pastor of several churches, and uh, really was headed for the mission field, but the right fit didn't exactly come about, and so I uh, ended up accepting a teaching position at a Southern Baptist Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, when I graduated. That was Midwestern Baptist. Midwestern Baptist, Baptist mm-hmm. Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. Spent 12 years teaching there in two stints. But in the middle of that, those two stints, I spent time serving as a missionary in Bangkok, Thailand. So you did get to the mission field. And did, finally finally got to the mission field. And that was an extraordinary adventure and, and time of deepening and, and shaping that, that I'm very grateful for. And from Midwestern, you came to Beeson. You've been here five years. Now, I've got to, in the interest of full disclosure, just tell everybody, I've known you for a good chunk of this pilgrimage you've just outlined. I met you at Clemson when you were a student and struggling with what do I do, where do I go if I go anywhere to seminary. And so you came to Southern. You actually were a student of mine, and so was your beautiful wife, Jackie. I remember that very well. And so I've known you a long time, haven't I? You have. Well, we're glad to have you here. Now, what I want to really focus on in this podcast today is a kind of new direction in your work, your theological work, and uh, some of the writing that you're doing and planning to do as it relates particularly to the question of work, the economy, and uh, the whole issue of wealth. What is it? How should Christians think about it? Stewardship, I guess, would be one word in which these kind of come together. Say a little bit about that part of your theological pilgrimage How have you gotten interested in this stuff that a lot of Christians care very little about and some actually think rather bad things of? Money, profit, 
wealth. Doesn't the Bible say that money's the root of all evil? Why aren't you uh, on that side of the debate? Well, I certainly was bequeathed a very strongly negative view of money and of uh, pursuit of wealth. But I was also bequeathed a very positive view of work. I would say that I was raised in a home where uh, industry and thrift uh, were both prized and practiced and you know, had a strong sense that it was right that if one refuses to work, one ought not to eat. <laughs> uh, that if one can take care of oneself and by the way that statement you just made where does that come from it comes from the bible oh <laughs> sometimes i cheat and get things from the from the word of god okay. and slather some of my ideas all with right it and see if i can get away with before, it before so i just wondered <laughs> that piece has stayed the the, the same uh, that one ought to work that uh, we were made to work work was part of god's good plan before the fall in paradise and it remains part of God's uh, a central part of God's good plan. So would you say life. that in in the fall of course there was this statement made to Adam that in the sweat of your brow you will earn your bread so that toil but not necessarily work is related to the fall. Absolutely and when we uh, listen we hear what the scriptures teach us about uh, God's plan uh, that he's already implementing to redeem humanity. He's redeeming the whole creation. And he's redeeming, he's, he's taking back what belongs to him. And that includes not just what we do on the Sabbath day, but what we do between, uh, between Sabbaths. And so, but I was bequeathed a negative view of money. And, it's, and in some ways, it's not surprising because there's so many negative things said about money in the Bible. The warnings surrounding uh, money, the desire to be uh, wealthy, are pervasive and they are profound. Uh, why is that? Well, it's that way, uh, not least because uh, money and uh, material well-being are good things that have been distorted by the fall, just like sex has, uh, just like eating has. Uh, we hear so many strong things said about uh, money and wealth uh, because they can't be given up. Uh, and they need to be uh, redeemed. Um, I was bequeathed a kind of a view of uh, the way money and, and wealth should function among believers by a, a very influential book by Ron Sider, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. And here we have, uh, I think, a place where many evangelicals have settled in. And it's a situation, it's a, it's a place where there's kind of the concession uh, that uh, free markets and capitalism uh, have proven that th these are the superior means for the creation of wealth. And that's important because poverty alleviation is also a very strong uh, value for Christians across the ages and should be. And when something creates wealth better than something else, then... Uh, you want to be careful not to uh, undermine that or sabotage it. But on the other hand, the message I received, at least, was that it's too bad that free markets and capitalism are really driven by greed, which is a sin. Um, and so I sort of carried that with me for a long time, uh, uh, kind of a conflict within about, on the one hand, money and wealth is needed to alleviate poverty and also to 
facilitate a kind of human flourishing and use of gifts and service to others and help to others. But on the other hand, these strong biblical uh, injunctions against wealth and warnings about the, the, the dangers that wealth brings to uh, our relationship with God and our relationship to each other. Um, and I think I think that money money poses a unique kind of temptation to idolatry. It's the gaining of wealth seems to promise a great deal of what God wants credit for because He knows He provides it. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I want to inject into our conversation now two words that I wish you would comment on because they are socialism and capitalism. Because a lot of um, I guess a line of thinking that goes from this direction you're talking about that says uh, money is bad, making money is is evil, uh, one, one should not become wealthy and rich, but basically uh, give that money away or ab- adopt the lifestyle of a person without money. I mean there's a strong tradition of evangelical poverty in the Christian tradition. Francis of Assisi kind of seems to have done that. Um, uh, and so, for though, and, and yet, all those people who would take that view also say, yes, we should help the poor. Of course, we should alleviate suffering in the world. And the way to do that is to take collectively the wealth that has been amassed in a given society and redistribute it in a way that is equitable, so that there is a, a leveling out of access to resources, not a piling up by a few who happen to get the breaks and make a lot of money so that if they want to, they can be generous. But basically, most of them are going to be greedy and just accumulate more and more and more. And that's anti-gospel. That's anti-Christ almost. And uh, so this often gets played out in a debate, I guess, or different modeling between what's called socialism and capitalism. I don't know what you think about that line of inquiry, but say a little bit about those two words, socialism and capitalism, and how you would critique this uh, position I've just tried to outline. It certainly is a watershed moment in my own life when I became convinced that really since about uh, the middle of the 18th century, the vast majority of the wealth that exists in the world is created. Uh, it's created by the providing of products and services in uh, a context of exchange between human beings. Prior to that time, especially if we contrast what happened after the middle of the 18th century with everything that happened before, you have a globe that was characterized primarily by material poverty. Since that time, what we've seen is uh, an extraordinary, unprecedented, staggering creation of wealth that has lifted millions, hundreds of millions of people out of poverty and has provided for the development of of extraordinary uh, advances in medicine to alleviate suffering on that front uh, as well, and so that that has uh, you know profoundly you know shaped how I view uh, any economic system. Uh, if I want to see poverty alleviated, if I want to see advance in in medical uh, in medicine medical technology to alleviate suffering, then I, I want to be very careful. Uh, not to sabotage or undermine what we know is uh, sort of the sine qua non, qua non the without which not, of, of that development. 
Um, which is what you would call capitalism or some well, form of it? Yeah, free markets, capitalism, lack of heavy government regulation or, 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 or government assuming uh, the prerogative and imagining that it has the ability to distribute wealth uh, without undermining the creation of that wealth. And it does strike me that people – on the left who may have – either they have strong recipes for correcting capitalism in socialist ways or people that are more free marketers, that there is a lot shared among them about what – how they understand what we might call human flourishing, you know, a world where people have the opportunity to use their gifts to work, where they have the ability to create wealth enough to take care of themselves and, and their dependents, uh, where they have options uh, about what they do uh, in life versus a situation in which uh, you have a growing population that is more and more dependent upon, upon others. I think, I think people on both sides of this divide share a lot in common when they think about the vision of where they want to be. Unless it comes to those who really believe that a kind of leveling, a radical leveling, where everyone is, has about the same amount of material well-being versus those that would say, no, if you want to see wealth create so, so that more and more people are lifted out of poverty, there is going to be a gap between those who have more and those who have less because the incentives that are necessary for the creation of wealth exploits the differences in the ability of people to to contribute to to the society and so and so I'm not as outraged as some of those to my left that some people amass great amount great amounts of money I don't view that as taking from other people now any amount of money a person has is a threat to them the biblical day, warnings about wealth are warnings to all of us at whatever place we are uh, in the socioeconomic scale that we would cling to wealth and depend on it and actually make a god of it in some ways. It's a temptation to idolatry. Absolutely. But there's nothing loving, nothing Christian and nothing loving about being nonchalant about your own wealth creation if you're able-bodied. There's nothing loving about playing fast and loose with whether you work to take care of yourself and those who depend upon you if when you don't have what you need – or what you believe you need, you turn and say, I want the government to go take it from somebody else and give it to me. That's not loving. It's, it's responsible and loving to, insofar as you are able, to take care of yourself, give to others, take care of those that, that are dependent upon you. And the church needs to step up and recognize the service that is being provided both to the church and to the world by those who do use their gifts to create wealth and take care of themselves and others and to contribute to the advance of the gospel in, in this world. I think we've neglected that. What would you say, uh, Dr. Devine, to critics of the view you've just enunciated who say to you, you sound like a pre-modern person. The, the, the system of um, wealth distribution or wealth creation that you're advocating sort of presupposes that um, we are living in a world in which industrialization has not taken such uh, a great impact on our society, and it really depends on the individual, maybe the church contributing some out of a kind of spirit of generosity that might or might not be there, but that you, you, that's your model. 
whereas industrialization has actually ground people into the, the dust. It's left them not with the ability to do the things that you say they need to do in order to flourish. And so that's why we need more than just individual goodwill and churches contributing. We need, we need a governance system that somehow is able to collect and redistribute this, these means that uh, have been earned in order to alleviate the dire situation in which we find ourselves in this postmodern world. One of the things I always want to ask is when someone envisions a situation that they feel like they can affirm, I want them to show me where that's happening in the world. We want to learn as much as we can from from the actual achievement of, of all the wonderful things that I think we rightly aspire to and, and can imagine. But we also have to take into consideration what has actually happened on planet Earth. There are two things I would say. It isn't, I don't, do not believe it's the case that, uh, and I, I hear this often. I heard recently the creator of the popular show, The Wire. You know, one of his purposes for writing that show was to show that unfettered capitalism, you know, is good for the few, but it's not, it's not good for, for the many. Well, of course, one question is, where is unfettered capitalism happening? It's not happening here in the United States of America. We have a heavily regulated economy. And so, so when you start talking about unfettered capitalism, well, show me where that is. Second, he obviously is not very impressed with the poverty alleviation and the advances in medicine that have happened through free markets uh, and capitalism. But let me say this. I do not believe that free markets and capitalism you know, came down off plates in upper state New York and we just need to get them and, and, and implement them. No, wherever you put human beings, there's going to be huge problems. And uh, where capitalism and free markets flourish, there will be there will be sinners who will make it serve bad ends and not good ends. And this is where we need a new generation of theologians and pastors who rethink the question, how do we live as Christians in this place, in this time, in this economy, uh, in ways that, that reflect the purposes that are revealed by our Lord in Holy Scripture? And that will lead to decisions, different decisions that a CEO makes, that a manager makes, uh, and, and that, a, that a worker makes. We need to bring to bear biblical, theological truth to our economic selves. And when we do that, I believe we will find that there's a much where free markets and capitalism prevail that uh, provide good ground, happy terrain in which human beings can flourish, in which uh, poverty can be alleviated, physical suffering can be uh, combated as our Lord did. And rather than, than looking back to what I believe are policies that have been implemented and have failed globally, and we need, we need to learn that lesson and not, not continue to try to fix uh, free markets and capitalism with policies that that, that have shown themselves, despite the great and wonderful intentions, have shown that they actually lead to greater poverty. Make things worse. They make things worse. Now, I want to pick up just a little bit on this last point you've made, because you are a theologian. Uh, you're an ordained minister of the church. You've been a pastor and a missionary, and now you're a professor at an evangelical seminary. So talk a little bit about how, in particular, pastors can 
help their people understand this and deal with it because it's an issue every pastor and every church is facing. And that is the question of stewardship, not just of money, but also of life and resources. How would you approach that theologically for pastoral purpose? The bulk of the waking hours of most of the uh, lives of congregants who are preached to, who are taught, who are encouraged to get involved in programs in our churches. The vast bulk of that time is spent at work. Can we speak into the lives of our congregants? What a shame if we if we don't. I believe that the resources, the biblical resources, are having something to say about what goes on when you're not at church, you're not at a spiritual retreat, you're, you're not on a mission trip, are enormous. The first day of, of humankind was a Sabbath. He hadn't been working. Sabbath is for man, but it belongs to God, just like man does. Even when we get and we get to the New Testament, Sabbath is not gone. There yet remains a Sabbath. Woe unto you who do not enter into God's Sabbath. See, he's the one who'd been working. And then he rested from his work. Man's first duty is not to work or to rest from his own work. He hadn't been doing any. His first happy duty is to behold the work of God of which he is the crown. He's a work. He lived, He's launched from that Sabbath into his work. And he's launched from that Sabbath heading for the next Sabbath. Because his work, the meaning of it, is only what it is before God. Life coram Deo before God, is life in toto. Its meaning is what it is before God. We're launched from Him having worked, and we're one of those works. The richness of that reality. And then we do our work in response. We're created in His image. When we go out from the Sabbath, we're in a special arena for reflecting the glory of God as the mirrors created in the image of God. How do we do that? Well, we do it because we're in relation with each other, created male and female, and because we are, we are called to have dominion under God over this world. Where is this taking place? Not primarily in the church. The church is the place where this needs to be exegeted. But out there is where we participate, where, where we actually embrace this this extraordinarily wondrous adventure that we're on as the creatures of God in our work. What happens there? We serve one another. Economies are not amoral. Economies are systems of exchange where people serve one another by providing help and products to address the needs and the aspirations of the human life we've been given by God. That needs to be talked about in church. And I believe our people who don't even realize they need it, if they get a little bit of it, they'll realize what's something that's been missing. What's been missing is an unbiblical divide between the so-called spiritual and the so-called material, physical life they have. What's physical is spiritual. He made it physical and he said it's good and he came down here and took it on. And so, pastors, when people hear this, it's going to be an incredible affirmation and encouragement to them that who they are before God never stops. 
It doesn't stop when they punch the clock. It doesn't stop when they when they uh, develop a vision and a strategy uh, for a new company that will employ people and give them a way to pursue their dreams. Now, the Industrial Revolution and the way it ground people, my, what I want to say there, I hate to come down from what I just said to, to this little nitty-gritty point, but the key there is volun- being voluntary. No one makes someone go into the factory. And over time, that that world is starting to go away. I would rather we not go through that stage. But nations leap to that stage as a stepping stone to greater uh, affluence and greater freedom that comes with material well-being. So you're seeking an interface between uh, our life before God and our work day by day in the world which reminds me a little bit of that wonderful definition of theology that comes from William Ames, that theology is the science of living in the presence of God 24-7. And you're writing about this. You're teaching about it here at Beeson. Uh, Say just a brief word about maybe your writing project and the course you've taught on this theme. Well, I'm thinking of of a title now that would be Between Sabbaths. I've already mentioned that we live from Sabbath to Sabbath as we move through this world. But I think we also see an overarching between Sabbaths. The first Sabbath, God's Sabbath, after he created the world. And then the Sabbath that's spoken of in the book of Hebrews, that we should beware lest we enter into it. That our whole this whole time between the times of the first Sabbath and the Sabbath we're to enter into is a framework for understanding the uniqueness of this time. It will be different uh, in the next world. But we're in this world now. And so the book will, will seek to integrate those things, this living between Sabbaths, and then explore how we can bring some of those insights into how we work, how we plan, how we start businesses, and so forth. The course that I taught this past semester, Wealth, Poverty, and the Church, was one that I entered with some trepidation. I'm not an economist, and I realize now that I've studied it a little while, I'm not going to become one. I'm 52. I'm not going to be an economist. But I cared very much about these issues. But I have to say the course turned out to be a wonderful breath of fresh air. The students there were very engaged, very interested in it, saw how practical these issues were. And it has convinced me that this intersection between faith, work, and economics is ripe uh, for exploring. The resources, biblical and theological, are very rich. And it, it really identifies, I think, a neglect that we can meet if we just apply ourselves to it and all of, all of our lives will be greatly enriched because we'll, we'll actually come to understand better the truth about the theological significance and spiritual significance of all that we do. My guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been Dr. Mark Devine. He is Associate Professor of Divinity here at Beeson. He's written a book called Bonhoeffer Speaks Today and is working, as he just told us, on a brand new book related to faith, economics, and our life before God. Thank you, Mark, for this wonderful conversation. You're welcome. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ.
We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.